Hello, and you're listening to the Convos with Bill podcast. Today, we're here with Kevin Burke. How you doing? Hey, buddy. How you doing, Bill? Not doing too bad. Um, if you guys don't know who Kevin Burke is, he was actually a guest on one of my previous episodes, so this is actually a part two to that, and I'd like to thank him for being on here, and um, if you want to know who he is, you can just go back and listen to that last episode. So we're going to jump right into it today. Uh, he is actually my father, so we're going to talk about some stuff that we would usually talk about in our house. So one of the first things we're going to talk about is how in our household we're big uh, Cleveland fans. So we are like Indians, the Browns, and the Cavs. Uh, we're big Cleveland sports fans, and when it comes to college, we're big Notre Dame fans. We're big Irish fans. So uh, I'm going to ask him how we got into the tradition of liking teams like Notre Dame and uh, all the Cleveland teams. Well, you know, the when I was a kid, which was back in the 60s, um, life was a lot different as as – for sports fans as far as, as being able to follow your teams. Um, we didn't have every game on, you know, right now we can watch just about every Indians game that we want to on, on Sports Time Ohio or Fox Sports, whichever one it's on. Um, and we kind of take that for granted. Back in when I was a kid, if the Indians made it on TV, um, it may have been once a year playing the Yankees on the 4th of July because that was always a big series in Old Municipal Stadium. They would sell out. Um, but we didn't watch the Indians. We, My uncle Jim Burke, my dad's brother, was a big Indians fan, and he kind of persuaded me at a young age um, to be an Indians fan. My dad, um, they took us to a lot of Reds games when we were kids. I had some friends that I grew up with whose parents went to a lot of Reds games took me along. So I did see – uh, games at Old Crosley Field and at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. But uh, Uncle Jim persuaded me along with Dan Grothouse, the barber, um, who is a cousin um, of my mother, a big Indians fan in the area, that uh, persuaded me to be an Indians fan. So the Indians, you know, being an Indians fan, that's all I've, you know, really ever known since I was young. Um, the Browns, just they're just the team. You know, we in Ohio, we – like I said, we didn't have, we didn't get to watch the other NFL teams. Um, um, and when I was a young kid, the Bengals weren't even around yet. So you know, the Browns were were the team in Ohio, and then you know we're big Brown fans. We bleed, you know, the brown orange. So, um, and the Cavs just went along with it when they came along, also in my lifetime. Um, and. I've kind of passed that along down to the boys, all five of them. Um, pretty much have followed suit. Um, our son Brian's kind of went wayward on football for a while. He wanted to become a Dolphins fan, but uh, Nathan's a Oakland Raiders fan, I believe. But uh, now Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. I'm sorry, <laughs> old school. So, and as far as Notre Dame goes, we're we're Irish Catholics. Um, my my dad's family grew up on Grand Avenue in Lima, North End Irish Catholics, which, which took over a, a good part of this area of the town, and, and Irish Catholics followed Notre Dame, and, and were passionate about Notre Dame, and, and, and I've been that way my whole life. But one of my worst memories of my life was as a little kid was my Uncle Joe, one of my dad's brothers, 
loading my older brother Sean, who was a year older than me, up by uh, by a year older than me, loading him up to take him to a Notre Dame football game and leaving me behind, and I cried and cried and cried until uh, I'm still traumatized by it, you know, um, 50 years later. So um, that's kind of the background on on why we follow who we follow, and and, and I've tried to, you know, I kind of over the years tried to pass it down to the boys um Jeannie she's my wife Jeannie she's a she's an Indians fan a Browns fan she's a big Browns fan when I met her so that was a you know match made in heaven and um now she's also a, a Buckeye fan now we you know when I was younger um the Buckeyes were you know I, I didn't really follow the Buckeyes much and and it was Notre Dame or nothing, but you know when I met Jeannie, she um, softened me a little bit. So you know I I support the Buckeyes because Jeannie supports the Buckeyes. Now some of the some of the boys they haven't they haven't got on board with that yet, but for the most part, you know um, it's all in fun. You know and that's what we do to to escape sometimes is follow our sports and and you know around here that's that's been a a good diversion for a lot, you know, a lot of Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, you know, and now that you can watch the Indians every night of the week in the summertime, if you're not at a ball game or, you know, following one of your kids playing something, you can sit down and watch an Indians game. So, and then when the Cavs won a championship a couple of years ago, that was, you know, that's one thing about being a Cleveland fan. We, we aren't piling up championships. So we're still like that dog chasing the car. So, you know, we don't know if, what we're going to do once we catch it, but we finally caught one with the calves, and um, you know that was fun. That was a that was a good ride and, and memories that you know I still hope to see a Browns championship, you know, and an Indians World Series win in my lifetime, which is getting shorter and shorter. So that's kind of the history of, of how we, you know, how where we got where we're at, and if you, you know we're sitting in our basement right now, which is kind of Billy's Billy's. Uh, man cave i guess you would call it <laughs> the walls are, are you know i'm looking at notre dame national championship you know banner from um 1973 has all their games on it and the scores and you know i'm looking at brown's official number one fan kevin burke of the cleveland browns and <laughs> indians banner so you know if you came in our basement you'll know where our allegiances are at so and there is a i think genie snuck a couple buckeye things around here but i can't see him right now so that's where we came from bill yeah and actually um he's talking about the stuff we have around our basement we actually have a signed rudy jersey that we got at an auction that's signed by rudy rudiger so that's really cool and then a little add-on to his uh story about um his uncle joe and the notre dame game and this is something he told me, he forgot to mention this, is that the brother that Uncle Joe took to the game is actually now one of the biggest Buckeye fans he'll ever find. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and Notre Dame, pretty much a Notre Dame hater. Basic, so. <laughs> basically. So. Yeah. Uncle Joe, I hope you're rolling over in your grave over that one. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's how we came to be, so... Next question, I want to ask you, obviously we're big Indians fans, and now I'm going to ask you about the MLB. 
and this is a big topic in the MLB, how do you think the MLB should handle steroids, uh, the use of PEDs, and uh, players like that going into the Hall of Fame? Um, players that were known throughout their career uh, using steroids, and uh, they were obviously very good players. And how do you feel that they should be treated once they admitted to using steroids and then being put in the Hall of Fame? Well, you know, I mean, I've in all sports, you you they evolve over time. Um, you know, there, there came a time when. Major League Baseball players realized if they could get bigger and stronger, that they would, you know, they could hit the ball further, they could throw the ball harder, um, and and there's always people out there marketing ways to do things faster, and and that's kind of where the steroid, whole steroid thing comes from. And anybody that's an elite athlete, their their main goal is to get to the top of their game, and and whatever it takes and, and we know people that have you know have taken that to the extreme and I think that's where the whole steroid thing um, evolved from is, is is play or someone saying hey I know how I can get you just to, you know to hit the ball this much further or throw the ball this much harder or, or you know be this much stronger and be able to you know to to deal with the daily you know the daily the, the daily playing 162 games a year in, in a major league schedule. And, and, and I think that it, before anyone knew what happened, it got out of control. And quite frankly, it's, we, it was an era of baseball that it's all part of the history of baseball where, you know, we do know the guys that got caught, the guys that were obviously, you know, under, you know, using performance, um, enhancing whatever they were using to to enhance their performance, but it was still part of the game. You know, um, the uh, the home run, Sammy Sosa and and Mark McGuire home run chase was phenomenal. I mean, it was I looked you know you followed it every night. So, and they obviously both were you know under using steroids. So. But it was a great part of base. I mean, it's a big part of major league baseball history. So, you know, I think eventually um, that will be. You know, as as time goes on, you're going to. You know, when people talk, historians talk about major league baseball. There's going to be the steroid era, and that's when all of these players that that have that asterisk behind their name, um, and some that don't. You know, because I think there's players out there that that are probably in the Hall of Fame that probably dabbled in steroids a little bit. Um, and I'm not, you know, I don't want anyone in particular, but, you know, we know the ones that, that made it to the news and got caught. And, and But I think his, and, you know, over time, I think um, some of those players will make it into the Hall of Fame because the steroid era is, uh, you know, and th to this day, players you know and agents and and team physicians and you know they're all trying to find ways to give their guy the edge quote unquote legally um and you know and steroids when they first came out they're probably you know they probably weren't illegal you know until they started affecting the game and then um peds and everything we talk about now 
obviously, you know, people get tested for. But back in, you know, when they started using steroids, it was probably just, hey, look at this. You know, we can shoot you up with this, and you're going to get stronger, and, you, you know, your forehead's going to get bigger, and, you know, you're going to do <laughs> crazy stuff. That, But, you know, over time, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to, if you want to move on to, you know, talking about Pete Rose, too, because I like the sense of talking about the Hall of Fame. So you know, if you want to talk about that, Bill, we can do that also right now. Before we get into that, I'm going to put um, – I'm going to add a little to what he just said. Um, and if you think about it, a lot of these – he brought up the home run chase there. Um, if you think about it, players like – well, Sammy Sosa, actually, if you look back, he's never actually – whereas in he's been accused and he probably did use a lot of – uh, PEDs, performance-enhancing drugs. He's never actually admitted to using those drugs. So, but anyway, what I'm gonna add on to this is these these drugs they use affect their strength. They affect how far they hit the ball and how hard they can throw the ball and that kind of stuff. What it doesn't affect is their skill level. You have to remember these guys in the MLB are still hitting the ball at 90 miles an hour plus. Alone, that is an amazing feat. Now, what these drugs don't do is they don't make them any better at having the ability to hit these balls coming in at 90 plus miles an hour. So you see a lot of things on Barry Bonds. He's, he's When I think of the whole steroid thing, that's who comes to my head. Well, if you look at Barry Bonds, yes, he... he was on the steroids and it made him a very strong strong big guy but him to be able to hit the ball like he did was not from the steroids him to be able to make the contact that he did was not from the steroids you always you you i've heard people say and i i say it and i hear other people say it all the time is the steroids don't the these steroids do not affect the way that you play baseball they affect um they all they do is they affect your strength and that's really it. They make you bigger and they make you stronger. But your skill level in baseball does not change, which I, I don't agree with PEDs in baseball at all. I, I think, I mean, I just mean, I like, I, I'm just not for it. I think you should try and gain that strength uh, naturally. But either way, you still have to be a very talented baseball player to be able to go in the MLB and uh, put up numbers like they did on steroids or not. So that's my input. And now that we're on the Hall of Fame topic, let's jump into a little bit of Pete Rose here. So I'm going to ask you, uh, uh, Kevin, um, about Pete Rose and his whole thing on the betting on baseball and him not being allowed in the Hall of Fame. Uh, just say your insight on that. Well, what I will say is, is I'm old enough to remember watching Pete Rose, Pete Rose play and follow Pete Rose. And like I said, we didn't get to watch every game um, like we do now, but Pete Rose was a face of baseball in his career. And, it, you know, the hit king and, you know, his head first slides and, you know, just the way he played the game. Um, anybody that, that has ever coached or, or, you know, just a fan or a player – had to had to you know appreciate the way that Pete Rose played the game um he played hard he played with emotion he you know and like I said I wasn't a Reds fan so I wasn't you know I mean but them Reds teams from the 70s were phenomenal teams that you know 
uh, the seven, I think it was the 75 Reds, you know, with, with Bench and Perez and Morgan and Rose and Concepcion. And, you know, that, those team, that team was loaded. And Pete Rose was the catalyst for that team. And um, I loved watching him play. And, and personally, I think it's a, you know, that's the biggest hole in the Hall of Fame right now is Pete Rose is not there because in my lifetime, you know, on the baseball field, he was one of the greatest players I ever watched play. Um, the way he handled the bat, the way he, you know, slapped the ball to all fields and, and you know, ran bases and, and just, the you know, the way he played the game, you know, the betting on baseball, the things that, that have kept him out of the Hall of Fame is, is I think that's more, you know, um, Commissioner Pete Rose issue, but but the Hall of Fame should be about great players. Um, and there's, if you're putting the greatest players that ever played the game in the Hall of Fame, Pete Rose should be there. There's no question about it. You know, and and and, and touched on a little bit on what we just talked about on the on the steroids. All the people we mentioned were great players long before they decided they were going to dabble into you know performance enhancing drugs and. Um, and, and most of them, you know, the, the three we mentioned probably would have been in the hall of fame anyway, if they, if that hadn't been the case, because they were great players before that. Um, but Pete Rose, I, you know, I think over time, you know, and he may be long gone. I may be long gone, but eventually I think Pete Rose is going to end up in the hall of fame. You know, because you're just talking a, a guy that was a great player. Anybody that's never watched him play, just Google him and, and watch the way he played the game. It was, you know, it was fun to watch, and he he brought excitement to baseball. And and even when he went to the Phillies, he you know he was the same way. So, yeah, I think Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame. And I couldn't agree more. Like you said, very great baseball player. So we're talking about a lot of old players here. So I want to ask you a question about, say you're a coach. Your team is in game seven of the World Series. If you could pick one pitcher all time, one pitcher of all time, to start that game seven of the World Series, who would it be and why? Um, and I'm only going to talk about pitchers that I, that I watch play. You know, I mean, I I can't. You know, I was I was too young for you know any of the great Indians pitchers because it's been so long since we. Uh, um, I would probably say Randy Johnson, just because I remember watching him and 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 the feeling of his you know the way the way he released the ball and and the you know the velocity and and the way it moved and and he brushed batters back. You know, I mean, there's. You know, that's the first name that jumped in my head was Randy Johnson in his prime. You know, I mean, I could, you know, Nolan Ryan was great. Bob Gibson was great. Um, you know, and there was a lot of, in, in my lifetime, all the World Series as we've watched, there's been a lot of a lot of great pitchers that have, that have you know, stepped up, you know, in, in the World Series. But when you know, when I just think about a pitcher that had some nasty stuff that the batters I don't think wanted to stand in against, I'm you know I would say Randy Johnson. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> if 
funny story. Um, football lifting just started for me, and one of our coaches, his name's Coach Lee. Shout out to Coach Lee. He was definitely going on about how good Randy Johnson was, and so uh, he he was explaining stuff, and it was funny listening to him explain Randy Johnson because one of the things he said is he was nasty and that he threw a 90 mile an hour change up. <laughs> so, so we had a fun time there. So still, on, obviously we're going to keep going here. I want to ask you, we're talking about our favorite teams in Cleveland, which, which are the Cavs, Browns and uh, Indians. Um, out of, all those teams, three different leagues. What would you say your favorite league? Your, your what you think the best sports league is out of the NBA, the NFL, and the MLB? Well, for me personally, it's, it's Major League Baseball, just because it's you know it's a. First of all, they play 162 games, so you know I mean it's it's pretty easy to um, to follow a team, you know. Um, Sunday afternoon Browns football games are, you know, when I was younger, you know, I lived for Sunday afternoon Browns football games. You know, I worked to work all week. I'm retired now, so, you know, but I'd work all week and, you know, and know who they were playing on Sunday and get up Sunday morning and put on my Browns jersey. And um, so Sunday afternoons are great during football season. You know, the, the Cavs um, – you know, we go to probably a Cavs, one or two Cavs game a year usually when, when my cousin Gina's dance, um, you know, dance group dances at halftime, and now we got granddaughters that are doing it. So, um, and that's always fun, you know. And, and, and following the Cavs is, 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 I'm not as passionate as I am with the, with the Indians um, just because I'm a baseball guy. And, and um, but, but definitely the Indians, and then and then the the Sunday afternoon Browns Browns games are, you know, it's kind of funny when you when you start having, you know, children that 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 play midget football, they play on Sunday afternoons, and so you know, you go for about a four year stretch where you don't get to watch a whole lot of Browns games during midget football season. So, you know, you kind of it's funny that. Shout out to Jimmy Moscato, who lives over behind LCC's football field where they play the midget games at. He's got a television set out on his back patio that's, that's mounted on the wall that he always has. He's a big Browns fan. He's always got the Browns games on. So a lot of the midget football Browns fans would sneak over to Jimmy's house to check on the <laughs> score in between quarters and stuff. So, But, yeah, so Major League Baseball for sure for me, but Browns Sundays are awful fun too. That's true. And talking about the Moscatos there, uh, that's definitely the stop when you're watching a midget football game down at LCC is usually around the uh, halftime mark and in between the third and fourth quarter. You just stop right on back there. He's got the game on. You go back and watch the game. So um, we've been talking a lot about professional sports. I want to take it down a level, and let's talk about uh, college sports. Uh, there's a lot of different college things that we could, the college uh, topics that we could talk about. One of them that we're going to talk about right now is I want you to talk about how you feel about college athletes not being paid. Do you think they should be paid? Um, because that's definitely in the question right now. 
and I want you to give your insight on that whole uh, topic right now in today's day and age. Well, you know, I I believe college athletes have to be able to live. Um, obviously, they're getting a, a free college education, you know, for those that stay for you know, the entire time in college, you know, which leads to a whole other subject for the one and done guys. But, um, you know, everyone, you know, every college athlete comes from a different background, you know, and, and some of the nitpicking rules they have on, you know, kids having money for, you know, a cell phone or, you know, or, you know, eating, you know, most, most of them can eat in the cafeteria and stuff, but, I think a stipend for college athletes is probably, you know, like a um, petty cash stipend where they got money in their pocket if they want to go to a movie or they want to, you know. Now, paying a college athlete, you know, millions of dollars like we pay pro athletes, I think is is not even, you know, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of amateur athletics. Um, they just become professionals. But – you know, I think the NCAA rules are, are they bind these, you know, these kids that come from, you know, from poverty home, you know, homes that are living in poverty their whole lives to, yeah, your, your, your school's paid for and you, you know, eat in the cafeteria, your meals are paid for and, but, you know, you don't have 50 bucks in your pocket to, and I don't know the exact rules, what they're allowed and not allowed to have. So, you know, and I guess the big conversation is about if you're using a kid's name, you got a, you know, a, a quarterback at a Division One school and, and they're selling millions of his jerseys and they're making, you know, is there a way to, to put money away? You know, so much money from every jersey sold, you know, to after long after he's done playing college football that there's, a, there's an account somewhere that said, hey, for every, you know, we sold – a hundred thousand jerseys with your with your uh name on the back and you're gonna get two dollars for every jersey we sold. But you're gonna get it after you're done with college. You know, I mean there's and I think that's where a lot of the discussion's at where these these colleges and universities are using these kids to make money and the kids aren't benefiting from it. But, you know, the other side of that coin is they are getting a free college education and, and you know, when they walk walk around campus, for those that do, because a lot of them, you know, a lot of college athletes, especially once they get to be upperclassmen, don't even see campus. They do online stuff and, and things like that, which I think takes away from, you know, the whole college experience for – if you're not if you're not walking the halls of the, you know, the, the college or walking the, the college you know, campus with the other students, you're, you know, are you truly a student athlete? But um, – you know, that's a whole nother topic, but I mean, I think there has to be a way to stipend money in their pockets, spending money in their pockets without being illegal. Obviously, just like we talked about the steroids in, in pro sports, there's going to be people out there that want to skirt the rules and slide them more money. You know, I mean, recruiting is a big, big deal, you know, and getting primo athletes to come to your school is, is always been, um, always been the underlying problem with with athletes and, and compensation because is that what got you to come to this school? You know, you got a booster that wants to slide you. You know, back in the old days, they'd they'd tell you, you know, they'd hire you to mow the grass and pay you, you know, pay an athlete 
five grand a month to mow their grass, you know, and then they, they won't even be mowing grass. So, you know, I think it's a it's a loaded question because there's so many different obstacles to paying college athletes. But I, you know, much as I love professional sports, I said watching amateurs play at the college and high school level, I would do in a heartbeat before I go to a pro game because I believe them, you know, the college and the, and the high school athletes have just incentive that comes from within and not from their pocketbook. So that's my opinion on that, Bill. Yeah, and that last statement you said there, um, he'd rather go to a high school and college game before he go to a pro game. And honestly, I couldn't agree more. I love watching college sports. And like he said, there's there's little extents and – there, like, like we don't know the exact rules, but what I'm going to say is that if you were to start paying, the reason college football is so good is because these kids that go out there are playing for the love of the game rather than the love of the money. Because they're not in the pros demanding a higher contract like you see a lot of players nowadays. They're going out there because they love the game of football. They love the game of baseball. They love the game of basketball. But, like he said, there's but there is little times, like you said, like maybe having fifty dollars in your pocket to go to the movies or something. Um, but anyway, staying on college sports, um, I want to ask you about the college basketball one and done rule. How you feel about that in general when it comes to college uh, basketball? Um, I I'm not a fan. Um, it's it's. It kind of it that it, it kind of ties right into the last conversation. It, are they truly student athletes when they're being recruited to come here for one year? It's a stepping stone to the pros. Um, you're taking a scholarship away from a guy, an athlete that um, truly is going to college to get an education. Um, I. I would much, you know, and I think we're probably heading in the direction of having, you know, now we're seeing some high school kids going overseas for a year, you know, and, and you know, um, I would rather see a quote-unquote minor league, um, minor league NBA, kind of like the G League, where a kid can leave high school and, and go to, the, you know, each team can draft them and send them to a, to their G League team and, and you know, pay them and, because I think it's really, you know, and in all fairness, a lot of those guys, you know, hopefully they go back and they get the rest of their education. Obviously, the one and done are going to be able to afford to pay for their education after they get, you know, they go pro. But, but it kind of it defeats the purpose when a college coach is recruiting a kid to say, come to my college for one year and then you can go to the pros because it's, once back to that amateurism again, are, are you true? Is that truly a student athlete, or is this just a kid that's at our school for one season? Um, and you know, schools like Kentucky, they you know they've made a name for themselves just recruiting kids to come in for a year, and you know, and and they obviously they get all the top recruits because they're going to go pro. And but that kind of that kind of puts a little tarnish in the whole amateurism of college basketball um nothing like seeing and i sure don't anyone that's a good enough athlete in any sport you know that is good enough to get drafted in the first or second round probably should go that route anyway um 
I know that you know the reasonings for for the one and done is is there's a lot of you know a lot of history, especially in the NBA with kids getting drafted right out of high school that didn't pan out, ended up um, you know ended up being a negative situation, but. I don't think one year, one year of college is 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 going to make that big a difference in that you know maturation process. So I think there's other avenues they could use, like a minor league, you know, just draft like baseball does, draft them and send them to your minor league team and and let them play there for a year. And, and if you're good enough to play out of high school, I guess you're good enough to play out of high school. Um, I don't think the one and done is going to playing one year in college is going to change that much so I've never been a fan of that because I'm you know I want college athletes to be students because I think that those you know when you go into one of those arenas and they're you know you got three or four thousand students packed in the corner up there and you want them guys down on the floor to be their peers you know and I think that's what's made college athletics great over the years and one and done you know, I think we're we're putting those guys on a pedestal where they're not really student athletes. They're just here because they have to be for one year. So, um, no, I'm not a fan of the one and done. Okay. That's his opinion on that. And now a very important question. We've been talking a lot about sports because this is obviously a sports podcast. So I want to ask you, what is the true breakfast of champions? For me? Yes. Or for – champion <laughs> um you know i'm a i'm a big uh over easy egg guy you know i like <laughs> you know two or three eggs over easy with uh or over medium as i got older i get a little over medium i'm gonna make sure they're cooked a little bit but um some hash browns some rye toast and 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 that's about it and maybe some bacon or sausage and i switch those up i'm not a, i'm not a pure bacon guy like you bill i like to <laughs> I like to switch it up every once in a while, but yeah, I'm just you know the old you know the old breakfast two eggs over easy or two eggs over medium, hash browns, some bacon and some rye toast, a cup of coffee and and a nice water and I'm good. So that's yeah. my breakfast of champion. Yeah. And actually, here's a story. As uh, as you remember over here, when I was little, when I first started playing travel baseball. Every Sunday, we had to travel up to Olentangy to practice. Well, on the way there, there was a, was it a speedway? Yeah, speedway. Speedway. Yeah. And every time we went in, we'd stop in and I'd get glazed donuts and chocolate milk. So for me, so we always called that the breakfast of champions because we always, re- we always remember going up there, stopping at that speedway, getting glazed donuts and chocolate milk. So for me, it would always, it'll always be in my heart that the breakfast of champions is glazed donuts and chocolate milk. So, and I'll tell you what, this weekend, Billy had a tournament in Cincinnati and or Westchester, and yesterday morning we had to leave. About five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, because he had an eight o'clock game, eight thirty game, and so I picked up some glazed donuts and some chocolate milk, and he had a pretty good day. So I'd say <laughs> there might be something to that. So. <laughs> it's actually a true statement. So, um, as I like to end all my episodes, I'm going to ask you to leave these people off with some words of inspiration and uh, wisdom uh, for the people listening to this today. Well, you know, I'm going to stay on the the subject of 
athletes um, because we've talked about a lot of, you know, athletes are, are prima donnas, a lot of them, and, and they get treated like that. And I think in the world of, the world of sports, um, the truly great athletes, and I'm talking all the way down to the high school level, are the ones that stay humble, that respect their teammates, that that guy down at the furthest end of the bench is just just as important to them as as the guy right next to them um, or right above them in the pecking order when it comes to to rotation. Um, and I think you know it, it's. I've watched over the years, and I've seen a lot of, you know, I've had kids graduating. Billy will grad, will be my fifth fifth son to graduate from LCC in four different decades. So I've seen a lot of different classes, a lot of different athletes a lot from a lot of different sports come through. And the ones that I truly respect to this day are the ones that talk to the little kids, you know, the ones that um, reach out. You know the ones that are that are humble, that are that are able to be approachable. They treat adults with respect. They treat um, teammates with respect. They treat officials with respect, umpires with respect. Um, because at the end of the day, they're playing a game, and they, you know, I don't think they realize how lucky they are. And especially the ones that are really good. I don't think you know it, it's hard when you're the person that's living that you know, the moment to understand how lucky they are to have the abilities that they have. And I, you know, and, and I talked to, I talked to Billy a lot about, you know, you're only as good as the way you treat your teammates and you treat your, you know, the officials and you treat the fans and you treat the, you know, it's that stuff, you know, cause we're all just preparing for, for life after sports and, you know, for the lucky ones that get to play into the pros that life's a little bit longer, but eventually it's going to end. And, and you're either a, a contributing member of society or you're somebody that was a good athlete that made money or, you know, a lot of people praised them and, you know, and you shouldn't be doing it to get praise. You know, work hard, you know, and, and the ones that dedicate themselves to getting better and sacrifice to get better, um, also have to realize they, they have a responsibility. I know there's some athletes that, that don't believe they're role models, they, that they should be considered role models, but when, whenever, whenever people are watching you play and, and following you, then you're, you're a role model whether you like it or not. You know? You're either a positive role model or you're a negative role model. So you know, I guess you know, when, when I'm talking you know, just about athletes from, from high school all the way through the, the pros, it's how you treat the people around you, you know, and money, money has ruined a lot of people, and um, the chase for more money has ruined a lot of people, so any, any advice I can give to anybody out there that, that, that's in any, in, not even in sports, in, in any world where you're, you're very successful, you know, just be, be aware of how you treat the others around you, you know, especially those that that aren't near as fortunate, that, that haven't been blessed with the talents that you have. Um, and, and I think that will take you a lot further in life than um, making a bunch of money. Heard it here first. Very great words from a very wise man. So 
everyone that's listening to this, I hope you enjoyed. Kevin, I thank you for being on here with me tonight. Hey, anytime you get in a pinch, you, I'm not hard to find. I'm right upstairs from your little uh, crash pad down here, whatever you call it. But uh, <laughs> your little Browns, Indians, Notre Dame, Warrior Mode. Uh, what else we got down here? A lot of a lot of running stuff, marathon posters, uh, medals. Billy's got a whole rack of medals down here from Spider Man, Spider Man posters, Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah, we're surrounded down here by cool stuff, you know, and that's that's what basements are supposed to be, you know. It's the kind of it's, this is kind of our little uh, I don't know what do you call it museum, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Museum of our 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 life, so. And yeah, then, appreciate it, Bill. Yeah, thank you. But and then one more thing, we got a team Duncan shout out. Aiden Harville hopefully listens to this, so he'll know what I mean. But um, <laughs> yep, thank you for listening to this. Uh, this one was actually a little bit longer than they normally are, so I hope you gave it a whole listen. Uh, it was very, it was a very good one. Uh, he had a lot of great things to say. So to all you that are listening to this, have an amazing day and God bless.